it's uh, it's good to be. Now that I have your attention, we can probably back off just a smidge more. Um, it's good to be back with you. I know it's been a little crazy in June. You've had a number of guest speakers. You've wondered where in the world your interim minister is. And uh, for two weeks, I was in Thailand with a team of 13 uh, that ministered to 40 missionaries from all over Southeast Asia and Russia. And uh, these men had come in for a time of spiritual renewal and retreat. It's the first time we've done Come Before Winter for men. It's been going on for about 16 years for women. And uh, it was an incredible, incredible blessing. I got in Wednesday night, got to say hi to Donna and, and our daughter Megan, got up on a plane on the next morning, flew to Nashville and was at celebration at Lipscomb, had a couple of classes there. Got in last night, and then we drove in this morning. Donna came with me, uh, first of all, so I would look a little better by having somebody at my side, and secondly, to keep me awake, because I still don't know what time zone I'm in. And then uh, on uh, this Wednesday evening, she and I will take off for Lima, Peru, with a team of 75 that will go work in an orphanage of about 900 kids. After that, things will settle down. I'll be here the 24th and the 31st of this month, Lord willing, and we'll begin a sort of rhythm together as we begin to focus on the interim and what God has called this church to do as it ministers in the Longview area, but also as it anticipates where it's headed in the future. This morning, I'm going to ask you to have your Bibles open to Joshua 8. We don't have a lot of time. Uh, I want to get you in that passage. We're going to spend a lot of time going back and forth with some scripture, and uh, you'll find that most helpful. In addition, let's bring up the slide, and I'll, uh, I'll kind of nudge these along since our receiver for our clicker is not here. We'll do a little manual slide adjustment, but I want to encourage you to stay with me in some of the scripture you're going to be participating in. Uh, so I'll, uh, I'll try to keep you awake and honest as we go. This is from Psalm 19. The law of the eternal is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the eternal are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the eternal are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the eternal are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The awe of the eternal is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the eternal are firm, and they all are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, the honey of the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, and keeping them is great reward. But who can discern his or her own errors? So please forgive my faults hidden from my eyes. Keep your servant from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent 
of great transgression. And then the psalm finishes with this next slide. May the words that come out of my mouth and the musings of my heart meet with your gracious approval. O eternal, my rock. O eternal, my redeemer. Let's say that closing together, all of us. May the words that come out of my mouth and the musings of my heart meet with your gracious approval. O eternal, my rock. O eternal, my redeemer. This morning, and we'll go to the next slide, this morning we're going to focus on a passage in Joshua that celebrates the truth that formed God's people. And we want to be invited into this world, and we too want to celebrate the truth that forms us. Now, we're in Joshua, and I don't want to be blasé and, and take for granted the brutality, the, the, the pain, the horror that goes on with Joshua and the conquest. It's a brutal world we enter. The Canaanites practiced child sacrifice, cult prostitution. It was an evil world that Israel entered, and it was a violent world. You've already seen that Achan sinned when Jericho was taken, and he took some of the devoted things, the things that Stephen talked to you about last week. Israel didn't know about this sin in the camp, and they went on to the next city, Ai, and Ai was a tiny little city compared to Jericho. It wasn't well fortified. It didn't have a strong army, and they took for granted they were going to go in and wipe out this city as God had called them to do. And they were roundly defeated. First, they had not inquired of the Lord, and secondly, they had sin in the camp. And so they had to deal with the sin in the camp and address that issue. The stunning defeat had shaken them, but it also reminded them of the importance of being a people obedient to God. So they rebooted, and they had a new battle plan, and the new battle plan was a spectacular plan, and they easily defeated Ai, and their conquest had gotten back on track, and it brings us to Joshua 8, verses thirty. Through 35. Now, I don't know if you circle words in your Bible or highlight it on your electronic device, but I'm going to point out to you some verbs that I want you to notice. Joshua 8.30. Then Joshua built, and that's a key word, circle it. Then Joshua built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites, he built, circle that word again, he built it according to what was written in the book of the law of Moses, he built an altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool had been used. And on it they offered to the Lord burnt offerings and sacrificed a fellowship offering. Verse 32. There in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua wrote, that's another key word, wrote on stones a copy of the law of Moses. Now they already had a copy went with the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark that led them into the Promised Land. So this is a redundant thing. They didn't have to have this to have the law, but they needed this to remind them of the importance of God's truth. So there in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua 
wrote on stones a copy of the law of Moses. All the Israelites, with their elders and officials and judges, were standing, that's a key word, standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, facing the Levitical priest who carried it. Both the foreigners living among them and the native-born were there. Who's a foreigner that's among the Israelites at this point? You remember? Rahab and all of her house, one that will be in the lineage of the Messiah. Half of the people stood in front of Mount Gerizim and half in, uh, of them in front of Mount Ebal. And as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had formally commanded when he gave instructions to bless the people of Israel. After Joshua read, there's that word again, so circle it, read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as it was written in the book of the law. There was not a word of the law that Moses had not commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and the children and the foreigners who lived among them. Okay, this is a passage from long ago and far away. What in the world are we supposed to do with this? How in the world are we supposed to treat it? What difference does it make to us in a culture so different? I can have the Greek, the Hebrew, and about six or seven translations on my iPhone and have it available to me. What in the world do a bunch of stones with the things carved on it that are the words of God have to do with me? Well, I want you to remember who the Israelites are and where they are. They're God's people... And they're moving into a land hostile to their faith, to their spiritual culture, and to their values. Let's go to the next slide. How do we deal with a culture that is hostile to the things that we believe? How do we deal with a land that no longer shares the values that we hold? Well, the first place we go is we keep reminding ourselves of our proper place. Let's say it again together. May the words that come out of my mouth and the musings of my heart meet with your gracious approval. O eternal my rock, O eternal my redeemer. It's hard for us to acknowledge, but we now face a time. On the very weekend we celebrate our freedoms, When we have already seen many of our Christian freedoms eroded in the last 10 years. Now there's a serious way to look at that, but there's a humorous way to look at it. Let's bring up the next slide. I don't know how many of you saw this. Any of you seen this before? I don't think you can read it, so I'll read the obituary for you. Noland, Mary Ann, Alfred Noland faced with the prospect of voting for either Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, passed into the loving arms of her God on Sunday. It's a tongue-in-cheek way of saying rather than live to the election, she chose to go ahead and die at 68 years of, of age because she didn't know who to vote for. It's a tongue-in-cheek way, but it's a reminder that we're staring some things in the face that are difficult. 
You have one candidate that won't protect unborn children, and you have another candidate that has manifested a dislike, a distrust, and an unwelcoming spirit to immigrants. Neither of those line up with Scripture. And it's a reminder to us that we've got hard choices in the land that which many of you grew up in is not the same land in which you find yourself. Let's go to the next slide. We live in a land we increasingly don't recognize. And there's some things I want us to recognize about this land. If you haven't picked up your outline, you might want to pick up the outline and follow along. Here's point number one, and we'll just go down these one at a time. We're in a land that's growing increasingly hostile to Christian faith. I sat through uh, a, a class a couple of days ago that looked at hard statistics. And over 50% of the people in America believe it is a hostile act to share your faith with someone else. In other words, any movement of evangelism is a hostile act. How do we live in this new land? That's the question that we've got to ask ourselves. How do we live in this land? How do we negotiate it? Especially, our third point, especially when cultural, without cultural or governmental confirmation of our values. And the hard, difficult issue for us is those of us that are 30 and over have to recognize the problems we face in our culture are our fault. They happened on our watch. And we can blame the media, and we can talk about the movies, and we can talk about Hollywood, and we can talk about the press, but the bottom line is we let all those things raise our kids and change the values around us. So what do we do? Will we come back to our prayer again? This time, let's say these words as a prayer. Oh God, may the words that come out of my mouth and the musings of my heart meet with your gracious approval. Oh eternal my rock, oh eternal my redeemer. Well, when the Israelites found themselves in a hostile land, they had what we would call today a come-to-Jesus meeting, except Jesus hadn't come yet. So they had a come-to-the-eternal meeting. The Lord God of Israel, Yahweh, they had a meeting with Him, and they had a meeting with Him between two mountains. And I want you to notice what they did at this come-to-the-eternal meeting. First, they built an altar. And if you go back and look in Judges 8, 30 and 31, you notice twice, it's emphasized, they built an altar. They built it exactly like Moses commanded. They didn't use tools on it. They found uncut stones. They built that into an altar, and they consecrated themselves. They dedicated themselves. They made themselves holy in the presence of God through a gift of a sacrifice. We're God's consecrated people. 
1 Corinthians 6 says, You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of your God. When we were baptized, we were ushered in to the consecrated, holy presence of God who suddenly came inside us and made us His. They built an altar. Secondly, they wrote on stones the preservation of the truth. Not because they didn't have it in the Ark of the Covenant that stood between them as they were on the two mountains, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal, but because they needed to go through the process of engraving not just the words on stones, but the words of God in their heart. Which led to the third thing. They stood while all the words of the Lord were read. We get nervous because we got Bible class happening in about 20 one minutes. And we've got to get this sermon over with in a hurry. It's got to fit in the slot. We've got to get church done in an hour, hour and five minutes. Can you imagine standing and listening to the Pentateuch being read with no kids' worship, no nursery, no handicap section for folks to remain seated? That's what they did. They stood and they listened. It was an act of dedication to say, God, our lives, our future in a land hostile depend upon your grace. And we recognize your grace is given us not just by the things that you do for us, but by the words you give us to live and steer our lives. And then the fourth thing they did is they read And they read this to all people, young, old, in between, the infirm, the well, the slaves, the foreigners, and all the Israelites. A proclamation that God's word, even in this hostile land, is for all people to know and acknowledge. Which brings us back to our prayer. May the words that come out of my mouth and the musings of my heart meet with your gracious approval, O eternal, my rock, O eternal, my redeemer. We plug back into this stream of truth. Like often happens in Scripture, the order in which things are unpacked is exactly kind of the opposite order we normally process things. So if we're going to say, let's devise a plan of what we're going to do to be a people of God that live holy and righteous lives in a land hostile to us, we're going to follow the plan in reverse order, which means we must proclaim God's Word. We must proclaim God's Word. Now let's go ahead and bring up that first point. We're going to proclaim God's Word. Let me tell you something that we're going to do as a church, Lord willing, over the next several months. We're going to introduce something to you as a church family that revolutionized a bunch of missionaries from Asia. It's called Scripture from the Heart. That means we're going to be memorizing some Scriptures, but more than memorizing it, We're going to internalize it, and we're going to share it. We're going to find ways to share it. We're going to share it publicly. Men with men and women with women. We're going to share it in our Bible classes. We're going to share it in some group time. 
hopefully we'll share it in our homes. It'll be passages of Scripture, stories from Jesus that we internalize and we share with one another. Now, why in the world are we doing that? Because the Bible was not a book written to be read alone. The New Testament, all of it was written to be read aloud, to be shared orally. You get a hint of that when you look at the book of Revelation. It doesn't say, blessed are those who read the words of this book. It says, blessed are those who read aloud the words of this book. And so we're going to learn to share God's word with each other in story form so that we own it ourselves. Number two, we're going to dedicate ourselves to living it. You remember a couple of weeks ago where I was obnoxious enough to say, in Bible class, we're going to move beyond just simply saying, what do you think about that? What do you feel about that? But we're going to nudge each other to ask the real question, what am I going to do to obey that principle this week? What am I going to do to change my life to live in harmony with God? Because God doesn't want us to be a memory stick. He doesn't want us to be a thumb drive. And so often we approach church as a gathering of knowledge. But one of my best friends that I preached with uh, for years and years and years is Grady King. And he says, I've yet to meet somebody in the church of Christ whose knowledge of God's word does not exceed his or her obedience of it. You understand the implications of that. Everybody in here knows more truth than they're living. And who's the fool? It's not the person that doesn't know the Word of God. Jesus says the fool is the person that knows the Word of God and doesn't put it into practice. And what happens to his house when the flood comes? The kids were in here would sing it. And it goes crash, right? So we're going to dedicate ourselves to living it. Number three, we must preserve truth for our family. The passage that you heard Clint read earlier, it finished with that list of things and they wore it on their foreheads and they put it on the door frames of their houses. One of the things that I love going into Christian uh, family homes today is how many of them have either things on the wall hanging or things literally written on the wall that says this is a house of faith. But we're going to challenge each other to have some ways that we express our faith in the places that we go. And then number four, we're going to consecrate ourselves to the life of God in the land hostile to us. We are not going to call this a worship service. Because you know what worship is in the New Testament. Romans 12, 1. I beseech you by the mercies of Christ to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your worship service. This is the place where we're going to stir each other up, to encourage each other to get our passions ignited so that we can leave this place and live a life of worship, service in the world around us. That's what Israel was called to do in the promised land, and that's what we're called to do as God's promised people. So let's finish 
with our prayer one more time, and the invitation will be ours. Let's go to the next slide. Let's stand together. And we're going to change all the pronouns that are personal to be inclusive because we're gathered together as Christ's body. So instead of the words that come out of my mouth, it's going to be our mouth. And the musings of my heart will be our heart. Oh, Father, we ask that you hear our prayer because we want this to be true. May the words that come out of our mouths and the musings of our hearts Meet with your gracious approval, O eternal, our rock, O eternal, our redeemer. That redeemer has come. He's paid a price for our sins, and he calls us into his family. What he asks of us is a confession of faith and a participation in his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism. And he's promised to give us two things that are forever the presence of the Holy Spirit, and the forgiveness of our sins. If those things are not yours, here's your moment as we sing. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our way. While we do His good will, He abides with us still. And with all who will trust and obey, trust and obey, for there's no other way. 